welcome back to Endopod. If you're new here, hi, this is Hepsi Xavier and I'm a third year medical student. Welcome to Endopod's revision series. Each episode will cover revision material for those preparing for exams or even just for those who are interested in learning the basics of endocrinology. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the endocrine pancreas including what its functions are and how it carries out these functions. First, I'll give you a brief overview of the pancreas in its entirety. The pancreas has two parts, each with a different function. These are the exocrine pancreas and the endocrine pancreas. 99% of the pancreas operates as an exocrine gland and releases enzymes into the alimentary canal to support digestion. However, it's the endocrine pancreas that we're interested in today because this is the part that plays a major role in the endocrine system. Only 1% of the pancreas functions as an endocrine gland, and its function is to produce hormones that play a key role in the regulation of whole body energy metabolism. So, what are these hormones and where exactly are they produced? While the endocrine pancreas is made of structures called the islets of Langerhans, there are roughly 1-2 to million islets within the pancreas and each has an extensive blood supply. These islets are made of four different types of cells and each one of these cells is is responsible for producing a different hormone. This means that the pancreas produces four hormones in total. Alpha cells produce glucagon, beta cells produce insulin, delta cells produce somatostatin, And finally, there are F cells, which produce pancreatic polypeptide. For the rest of this podcast episode, we're going to look at each of these hormones in turn and explore what their functions are and the physiology behind these functions. Let's start off by talking about insulin. Insulin is a peptide hormone produced by the pancreatic beta cells. It is synthesized as a large pre-pro-hormone called pre-pro-insulin, which is then converted into pro-insulin in the endoplasmic reticulum. This pro-insulin is packaged as granules within secretory vessels. Within the granules, the pro-insulin is cleaved again to form insulin and C-peptide. The insulin is then stored in this form until the beta cell is activated and secretion occurs. Now let's explore the function of insulin. Its primary action is to stimulate glucose uptake by cells in the body. It does this by binding to tyrosine kinase receptors on the cell membrane of insulin-sensitive tissues in order to increase glucose uptake by these tissues. The glucose that has been taken up can then be used to provide us with energy. One really important thing to remember and take away from the podcast today is that insulin is the only hormone in our body that lowers blood glucose levels. Let's look in a bit more detail at how exactly insulin manages to increase glucose uptake into cells. In muscle and adipose tissue, insulin stimulates the mobilization of specific glucose transporters called GLUT4. These transporters are normally found in the cytoplasm of the cell, but when stimulated by insulin they move to the cell membrane and allow glucose to enter the cell. Once insulin stimulation stops, the GLUT4 transporters return back to the cytoplasm. This means that in the absence of insulin, muscle and adipose tissue cannot take up any glucose. However, most types of tissue in our body does not require insulin to take up glucose. In fact, only muscle and fat are insulin dependent. 
The thing is, in normality, muscle and fat make up roughly 60% of her body weight. So this means that a very large proportion of her body is dependent on insulin for its glucose uptake. So that's has covered the main action of insulin. However, it does have some additional actions, which I'm going to briefly mention, but we won't go into them in detail right now. Insulin increases glycogen synthesis in muscle and liver by stimulating glycogen synthase and inhibiting glycogen phosphorylase. It also increases amino acid uptake into muscle, increases protein synthesis, stimulates lipogenesis, and inhibits the enzymes in the liver that are involved in gluconeogenesis. All of these actions are anabolic processes, so involve laying down energy stores. Insulin's final action is to promote potassium ion entry into cells. It does this by stimulating the sodium-potassium ATPase pump, and this is very important clinically. All of these additional functions of insulin are possible because of activation of multiple signal transduction pathways that are associated with the insulin receptor. Now let's talk about what stimulates insulin secretion. The major stimulus is blood glucose concentration. When our blood glucose concentration increases after we've eaten a meal, this triggers insulin to be released. Secretion of insulin is also stimulated by increased amino acid concentration in the plasma due to amino acids entering the blood from the GI tract. Glucagon is also responsible for helping in the release of insulin. This is because some of the glucose that is taken up due to the action of insulin is created via gluconeogenesis, and this process is stimulated by glucagon. Other hormones called incretin hormones also stimulate insulin release. These include gastrin, secretin, and cholecystokinin. The last thing that causes insulin secretion is vagal nerve activity. It does this by both stimulating the release of incretin hormones and also by stimulating the pancreas directly. There are also certain stimuli that can inhibit insulin release. These are low blood glucose concentration, the hormone somatostatin, which we're going to be looking at later, as well as the sympathetic alpha-2 effects and stress such as hypoxia. secretion of insulin is controlled. It all centers around the fact that beta cells have a specific type of potassium ion channel that is sensitive to the ATP concentration within the cell. This type of ion channel is called a potassium ATP channel. When there's lots of glucose present, it enters the cell through glucose transport proteins and metabolism within the cell increases. This therefore increases the ATP concentration within the cell and causes the potassium ATP channel to close. Intracellular potassium then rises and depolarizes the cell. Once the cell is depolarized, voltage-gated calcium channels open and this triggers insulin release into the circulation. Then when the blood glucose concentration is low, the potassium ATP channels open and the cell is hyperpolarized. This means that the voltage-gated calcium channels remain closed and insulin is not secreted. So now we're on to the next hormone, which is glucagon. Glucagon is also a peptide hormone like insulin, but it is produced by the alpha cells in the islets of Langerhans. Its primary purpose is to raise blood glucose levels, so this means it has a complete opposite action compared to insulin. Glucagon forms part of the glucose counter-regulatory control system, which includes the hormones epinephrine, cortisol, and growth hormone. 
We'll go into a bit more detail about this counter-regulatory control system later on in the episode. So exactly how does glucagon mobilise glucose? Well, glucagon receptors are G-protein coupled receptors linked to the adenylate cyclase and CAMP system. When this system is activated, it phosphorylates specific liver enzymes, which result in three different processes. These processes are increased glycogenolysis, increased gluconeogenesis, and the formation of ketones from fatty acids, also known as lipolysis. All of these processes occur in the liver, and the overall result is an increase in blood glucose concentration. Now, let's take a look at the stimuli that promote glucagon release. The main two stimuli are a low blood glucose concentration, so that's a concentration less than 5 millimoles, and the other is a high concentration of amino acids in the plasma. The reason that amino acids promote glucagon secretion is that it helps to prevent hypoglycemia, because if you remember from what I said earlier, insulin is also secreted in response to amino acids in the plasma. So the release of glucagon counteracts the action of insulin and ensures that the blood glucose concentration is maintained. The other stimuli that promote glucagon release are cortisol, stress such as exercise or infection, and finally sympathetic innervation and epinephrine. Of course, there are also stimuli that inhibit glucagon release. These are glucose, free fatty acids, ketones, insulin, and somatostatin in the plasma. The third hormone we're looking at is somatostatin, and this is secreted by the delta cells of the pancreas and is also a peptide hormone. It's important to note that it is also secreted by the hypothalamus, and when released from there it is referred to as growth hormone inhibiting hormone. However, we aren't going to be looking at growth hormone inhibiting hormone and its function in this episode. Somatostatin's main pancreatic action is to inhibit the activity in the GI tract. It slows down the absorption of nutrients in order to prevent big peaks in plasma concentrations. It is not a counter-regulatory hormone in the control of blood glucose, but it does strongly suppress the release of both insulin and glucagon. Release of somatostatin is stimulated by elevated plasma amino acid concentration, as well as elevated blood glucose. The final hormone produced by the endocrine pancreas is pancreatic polypeptide. This is produced by F cells in the islets of Langerhans, and currently there isn't too much that we actually know about its function, but we suspect that it might help to control nutrient absorption from the GI tract. Now we're going to turn our attention back to insulin and glucagon and specifically look at their opposing effects on blood glucose levels. Control of blood glucose depends on the balance between insulin and glucagon. In the fed state, insulin dominates, and glucose is taken up by the cells from the plasma, causing our blood glucose concentration to decrease. There is also increased glycogen, fat, and protein synthesis. However, in the fasted state, glucagon dominates, and the glucose is released into the plasma, causing blood glucose concentration to increase. There is also an increase in gluconeogenesis and ketogenesis. But what happens when our blood glucose concentration isn't controlled? There is one major condition that occurs when there is a loss of control of blood glucose level, and this is diabetes mellitus. There are two forms of diabetes mellitus, and we will be covering each of these in other podcast episodes, so make sure to keep on the lookout for those. But we'll take a little look at the physiology behind the condition right now. In type 1 diabetes, the pancreatic beta cells don't produce any insulin, 
and this massively affects the patient's ability to absorb glucose from the plasma, because as we mentioned earlier, insulin is the only hormone that can lower our blood glucose. Therefore, type 1 diabetes needs to be controlled by giving insulin through injections. Then we have type 2 diabetes, where peripheral tissues in the body become insensitive to insulin. This is either due to an abnormal response of the insulin receptor or reduction in their number. In this type of diabetes, the beta cells remain intact. As a quick final point, I'm going to mention a little bit about the glucose counter-regulatory control system. This is basically a combination of processes that protect us against the development of hypoglycemia. The key counter-regulatory hormones are glucagon, epinephrine, growth hormone and cortisol, and they act mainly by increasing glucose output from the liver by the processes of glycogenolysis and gluconeogenesis. you have enjoyed this episode of endopod and hopefully learned something about the endocrine pancreas because once you understand this then you have a great base for moving on and exploring diabetes as well as the many other endocrine conditions that so many people are affected by please like and share the podcast with all your friends and colleagues and of course i always welcome any feedback before i go i want to say a big thank you to arabella bapti one of our charity coordinators who was involved in the making of this episode Stay safe and happy. This is Hepsi Xavier, signing off.